Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Black Bar on Blog Talk Radio. Sit back and engage as we tackle the issues important to you and your family. It is our desire to equip you with up-to-date information, commentary, and solutions to life's biggest challenges facing our communities. Thank you for joining us as we embark on this journey to raise awareness about the importance of faith, family, and fatherhood in the African-American community and beyond. Now, here's your host, Executive Director of Fathers Incorporated, Kenneth Braswell. Hello and welcome to the Black Bar On Air. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell, and we are beginning our series, Dialogue About Daughters. Um, It is part of our National Save Our Daughters campaign that will take place on May 8th. If you want any new information about that, you want to be involved, become a partner, Go to our website at www.saveourdaughtersnight.com. We start off our series with a good friend. Um, You know her well. We all know her well. Her name is Dr. Janet Taylor. Um, She is a community psychiatrist in New York City, um, the Bronx, and Queens, and she is a frequently invited guest on the subjects of minority health, stress management, parenting, and work-life balance. Um, She is a frequent contributor to CBS This Morning, the NBC The Today Show, and Good Morning America on issues of motherhood and parenting. Good morning or good evening, whatever time of the day it is, Dr. Taylor. (laughs) Good morning. It's morning here, thankfully. (laughs) So what I want to do is, you know, we got this series um, going on, and I'm really trying to tackle um, several subjects. So we're going to be running shows over the next eight weeks on various subjects with respect to our daughters. I think that in the field of responsible fatherhood, we tend to lean very heavily on the impact of fatherlessness on our boys, and we don't talk a lot um, about the impact um, that fatherlessness has on girls. But before we get to that, tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're up to these days. So, as you mentioned, I'm a psychiatrist, and I'm working now in New York City with a program called CASES. And CASES um, is about 40 years old. It was one of the first, or the first program that looked at incarceration, and they developed work diversion programs. And so what I work with is um, alternatives to sentencing. So I go into the jails, um, interview uh men who and women who are criminally justice involved um, determine uh, what their uh, mental issues are, and we advocate. I work on a team that advocates um, in the judicial system to have them released to our program, man- mandated to our program. They still get sentenced, but understanding that there are too many men and women who languish behind jail bars when, in fact, they may, ne- may need substance abuse treatment or mental health treatment, housing, help with education, parenting, um, psychotherapy, so that they can get their lives back together. Yeah, that sounds like a huge undertaking. What brought that on? You you know, I'm fortunate um, to have been asked to work with the team, but understanding, I mean, I've been doing community psychiatry for many years. I worked at Harlem Hospital, and in my opinion, Ken, it's just a melding of everything I've been doing in the sense of not just identifying pathology or making a diagnosis, but actually trying to make a a difference in individuals and their families' lives. So Mm -hmm. I feel really fortunate to be involved with it. Yeah, it's amazing how your life comes together, right? You think that you are destined and purposed to do one thing, 
and realize that that one thing is really something that is just your part to a larger purpose. Exactly. Um, and so you can't be just one thing to one person. You have to be what that person needs. Yeah. Um, and if it is, you know, dealing with their mental health, physical health, or spiritual health, you know, based on your own gift, you got to try your best, you know, to be able to provide that person with what they need. I mean, much like what you do in the work, your work daily, um, you know, with the National Fatherhood Initiative and, and now what you're doing with uh, daughters, it's all about families and, and individual and understanding that in the larger scheme of things, ultimately it's about the community. And, you know, we're only as good as the weakest um, or most difficult um, time that individuals are having. So we have to reach back and reach around us and, and help pick others up. Absolutely. One of the things that I've been hearing over the last, you know, at least year and a half since we've, or the nation has really been engaged in this Black Lives Matter movement, is we've begun to hear some backlash, and I think some of it was also brought on by the President's My Brother Keeper initiative that we were placing too much attention on boys and not enough tension, attention on girls. Do you think that law, girls um, often get lost in the conversation of being um, served the services that they need to be healthy as well? Oh, there's no question. I mean, I, there is gender inequity in everything. And I think there's this assumption because typically girls um, in particular may be more quiet um, and certainly not as vocal, whether it's physically in terms of, the, you know, our voices aren't as, as deep and we may be engaged in, um, let's say, physical or mental altercations, if you will, but it's it's less um, um, uh, visual mm-hmm. that, that we're okay. And the reality is, I mean, if you look at the health of individuals, black women have the worst health care outcomes of any ethnic group. And if from an incarceration standpoint, black women go in unhealthier and come out unhealthier um, from prisons, and 80% of them are women. So it, it really is not a matter of us versus them, but understanding that the physical and mental and spiritual health of everyone is paramount. So I do think that uh, black girls especially do get left out of the conversation. So it's it's great that you're bringing awareness to our voices. Yeah, one of the challenges that I've had and that I continue to try to uh, bring forth, at least when I speak to people, is that, you know, as a father of four girls and one boy, you know, that the notion that when I speak about the well-being of my son doesn't mean that I dismiss the well-being of my four girls. And the question is, how do we balance this conversation so that those who are focused on boys and those who are focused on girls really are reminded, understand, and have clarity that at the end of the day, as you said before, that we are all about building the families so that they can become healthy and we can create healthy communities. I think that we struggle um, with understanding that just because I may be speaking one day about boys and not girls and someone else may be speaking about girls and not boys, that we're not concerned about the other. How do we balance that conversation? You know, it's interesting. I think you have to look at who who's doing who's verbal about pitting one against the other because I mean we like what we like and it you know at the end of the day it's a free world and and you can talk about and write about whomever and just because you're advocating for one group doesn't mean you're anti another um, and and understanding that um, our boys especially our young black boys need just as much advocacy as our as our black girls 
Um, so I think it's a mention. I think it's when you're doing your research and doing your work, it's just, you know, a, a disclaimer, if, if you will, that just because, you know, our organization, you know, trumpets and, and heralds and is concerned about the health and well-being of individuals who may be fatherless, but also highlights those fathers who are doing a great job in the community. Because I think that the fatherlessness also um, overshadows the good work that fathers do, whether they're in or out of the home. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to, you have to look at who's sending the messages, but also mention that underneath this all, the framework, the wider view, is that to the extent that our families, whether fathers are in the home or out of the home, whether mothers are in the home or out of the home, are healthy and communicating in a way that benefits everyone, then we can have healthier families. Right. From a societal perspective, what do you believe is the biggest challenge today for our girls? Um, I think a, a challenge is education. I mean, knowing that, you know, in third grade, teachers start calling more on boys than girls. So, um making sure that our girls are educated in a way that not only teaches them, you know, the basics, but also helps them foster, helps foster a sense of superior self-esteem and self-efficacy. I think that's a challenge within our schools. I think abuse, physical, sexual, emotional abuse that is happening to our young girls and boys, but in particular our young girls, um, is, is really something that um, needs to stop. And that's not just, you know, men against um, women, but um, men against girls, but also the way our mothers talk to our girls mm. and, and, and the men and women that mothers allow in the household with our young girls. I think, you know, we have to be really aware of who's sleeping in our beds, mm. you know, who's sleeping on our couches, who's babysitting our girls, and the exposure that we allow our daughters to have to people who they do not need to be exposed to. Yeah, you know, that's, um, you know, that last statement about being careful, you know, who are around our girls. I'm one person who is ultra-sensitive about that to the point um, where you almost um, shelter your children to a point where they can't breathe, which is not good either, but, you know, you're trying to figure out uh, which devil do you want to hug? <laughs> you know, do you want to um, keep them um, safe and away from harm's way, or do you want to give them the tools to allow them to be able to um, manage life on their own? And sometimes as a parent, you just don't know which one to do, and so we tend to, you know, just put a brick wall around them and try to shelter them from society, knowing that it's almost difficult, impossible to do that. It, I mean, it is, but I'd rather be safe than sorry yeah. because there are a lot of individuals um, in in the world. I mean, not to make people paranoid, and, and I think good far outweighs bad, but a lot of individuals who have no regard for you as a parent <laughs> or your children. And, you know, our kids are exposed to enough, um, whether it's via technology and the Internet, whether it's, you know, other kids at school. And I think I certainly was one. I mean, I have four daughters as well who really watched them carefully and was um, very diligent about if they went to sleepovers, who's, you know, who's in the home, who comes over, babysitters, like who their boyfriends or uncles or people around them because, you know, our, our children are vulnerable and adults know how to um, manipulate them and how to use power and authority. 
um, in a way to silence our children, and it's unacceptable. Absolutely. Uh, what don't we know about the mental well-being of our girls today? Because we don't often talk a lot about their mental health. You know, for black girls, um, you know, black women in particular have, have been pathologized um, from an evidence perspective or even from a just cultural, you know, what a black girl, a black, what a black woman is. But our black girls actually have higher self-esteem, a better sense of self-worth, um, than any other demographic, and I think that gets lost. Our black girls feel good about themselves, and I think that's a message that needs to be um, spoken, shouted loudly. And so I think as parents and as a society, we need to figure out how to build upon that mm-hmm. and, and not let it um, alter, you know, as they enter um, those kind of late teen and informative years when other factors come into play. Mm, you know, one of the things that, you know, we've been paying close attention to as Fathers Incorporated, in fact, will begin to do some significant work around it towards the end of this year, um, much of the beginning of next year, is this issue of the rise of suicide, particularly in black women and girls, um, something that is almost never heard of but increasing. Uh, what's going on with our women and with our girls um, that they are losing uh, one would say hope in life. Well, I mean, you know, the suicide rates um, actually are higher for young black men um, between the ages of 18 to 25 than black women. That being said, you know, historically um, in psychiatry, it used to be thought that blacks didn't get depressed at all. We were just happy-go-lucky people who could adapt and, you know, were resilient and had lots of strengths, which we do. But, you know, the rate and incidence of depression, um, if you look from a a national perspective, really are no higher in blacks or whites. I think there is certainly a more awareness because of, um, like, um, some more uh, visible suicides recently. Mm -hmm. But overall, um, we're no more depressed than anyone else. I think what needs to happen and recognizes the fact that it's okay if you do feel depressed, it's okay if you do feel sad to seek therapy and talk to someone, and that, you know, it, it really, um, for lack of a better word, uh, kills me that people will self-medicate with alcohol or, or drugs um, to change their moods but won't take an antidepressant. So, you know, you'd rather trust um, a street drug like marijuana. hmm versus an antidepressant. So I think what we can do is educate our young girls about the signs and symptoms of depression. I mean, if you have a sadness that lasts longer than two weeks or lose interest in your usual activities, you know, for kids, their presentation may be different. They may act out behaviorally. So then, you know, teachers are saying they have ADD, ADHD, um, which may not be the case at all. But, in fact, something may be going on at school in terms of being bullied or at home that's making them act out so they externalize their behaviors. So making parents aware that any change in behavior um, needs to be noticed and talk to your doctor, talk to your pediatrician, talk to your child about what could be going on so that we can identify and treat, if necessary, individuals, whether with talk therapy or medication, or even changing a setting or exposure so that they're aware of how they feel. Wow. You're listening to The Black Bar. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. Today, our guest, Dr. Janet Taylor, um, and we're talking about the mental health of our girls and our daughters. This is part of National Save Our Daughters 
night campaign that takes place on May 8th. You know, oftentimes when um, we do have a very tragic um, incident with either our boys or our girls, um, oftentimes people close to them will say, I didn't see it. How come I couldn't help? What could I have done? Um, how do you see the signs and what does depression look like in our girls? Um, and we don't misinterpret it as just a quiet-spirited girl. Right. Well, I mean, you need to be aware of how your kids function, how your girls function and adapt on a daily basis so that if you notice those changes, you can say something. You know, younger kids, it's hard for them to say, I feel this or that. Um, so looking at whether they stop wanting to go to school, stop wanting to go on certain play dates, start acting up in a way that may seem more disrespectful or, or brazen, um, but look at those abrupt changes in behavior. If there's a decline in their schoolwork, decline in their sleep or eating patterns, those are all can be symptoms that they may um, be depressed or have some incident that that's going on. Bullying is a huge factor, and bullying is not does not just happen from the outside in schools. There are kids who are bullied by their their siblings. There are kids who are bullied by their parents, and so coaches. So just being aware of that, and um, again, if the behavior lasts longer than two weeks, if it's disruptive with schoolwork, if it's disruptive with family functioning, if as a parent, you know, you may be going through a difficult time, maybe there are frequent arguments at home or you're going through a separation or a divorce, have had a loss of a grandmother or an aunt or a sibling, all of those factors can trigger changes in behavior. Young kids and girls may not be as um, um, likely to have a change in their mood or behavior that's secondary to a medical problem. However, I always suggest that kids have a physical. We know that the instance, unfortunately, of um, type 2 diabetes, it, which is diabetes secondary to lifestyle, is now increasing in our kids. So um, just making sure that there's nothing medically that can um, account for their behavior. Yeah, you know, you mentioned bullying, and that's something that we have we have also crossed paths with, and one of the things that we notice, particularly in a difference between boys and girls, that um, girls are often more psychologically vicious than physically vicious. Um, why is that? Um, you know, <laughs> girl, you know, speaking as a mother of four daughters and then also as a woman myself, I, girls are more, in, we're more in tuned um, psychologically in terms of the group dynamics mm -hmm. and individual dynamics. And although girls are and can be physically strong, our first inclination is to take verbal jabs as opposed to something physical. And the difference between girls and boys bullying is if a boy, you know, feels bullied, feels threatened, you know, they can take it, have a fight, you know, in the schoolyard and it's over. With girls, there's just because I think we tend to have this um, um, cliquish, you know, let's look at the totality of the group mentality, we tend to keep things up verbally. Um, understanding that both, Physical uh, bullying and verbal emotional bullying can be just as damaging, mm -hmm. but that's how we tend to do it. You know, we'll maybe spread gossip or get other people on our side and tend to have this group dynamic in terms of bullying. Mm -hmm. When you are, as a father, and this is a question not only for people who are listening, but it's a question for me as well. Um, when you are trying to gauge 
um, your child's, particularly your daughter's self-esteem. Um, because research, you know, says that, you know, when an active and loving and nurturing father is in the lives of their girls, um, their self-esteem is much higher. They're much more aware of themselves and more confident about who they are. Um, but how do you gauge um, your child's self-esteem? Because often you don't know um, whether they are um, self-confident, particularly when they get amongst their own peers. You know, there are a couple things you can do. Number one, always looking at how they're functioning in terms of measurable, which for kids mostly is school, you know, active, how active they are. If, let's say, you they want to try out for soccer or basketball or, you know, the debate uh, team, and they're good at it, they love it, but won't do it, just exploring why they won't. Some kids are very shy. Some have a lot of social anxiety. Um, so one way, you know, if your kid is a self-starter, jumps out, great. M- many kids are not, and they need a lot of encouragement. They may need you to show up with them or even talk about how difficult it was for you as a child to engage in a certain way or to try something new. So those are all things that you can watch, how they adapt to new situations, how they do in school, how they relate to you. Um, no matter what the age of the child even teenagers do well if you have them sit down and, and draw a picture of, you know, something they did in their day that, you know, made them feel a certain way. So helping kids identify what they do with the feelings that they have. And then also you can do what-if what if situations. Like, you know, um, hey, Barbara, what if your friend said, let's skip school today? Um, let's not take this test. Let's you know, go smoke marijuana or joint behind school. Like, what would you do? Mm-hmm. Um, and so doing some what-if scenarios just to get a sense of um, how they respond can tap, help you get clues into what their self-esteem is. And, and you know, one of the things with, with fathers and, and daughters and fathers and sons are our kids respond to fathers talking about what their um, – Lives, lives were like, like incidents that, that had an impact on them. So sharing stories is, is critical. Wow. Um, you know, I'm sitting here thinking as you were talking about that, um, you know, one of the things, you know, we often are challenged with, you know, in responsible fatherhood, particularly as it relates to mentoring. And so oftentimes when we talk about fatherlessness and we relate that to our boys, particularly growing up in um, women-headed households, we all, we often don't talk about the girls that are brought up in those same households. And one of the challenges, in I believe, in the mentoring field is that we often engage in a gender-equal mentoring scenario, meaning men to boys, women to girls. In a single-parent household where a girl is growing up in a female-headed household, how do we address the issue of ensuring that she also uh, receives a healthy man's perspective to life? Well, you can do that by, you know, if you have, you know, trusted cousins, grandfathers, uncles, neighbors, um, and encouraging them to talk to them, to spend quality time with them, you know, read to them, take them, you know, to museums and and things like that. The other is getting girls involved in sports particularly or teams that may be coached um, or influenced by someone of the opposite sex. Because, you know, what men do for our our girls 
um, is it you know we men and women parent differently, and so it's it's the father or the father figure or that male influence that helps our girls and boys develop a sense of the ability to take risk, um, because even as we men allow kids to play differently, you know they don't hover as much, you know they let them fall, they expose them in new ways. So that sense of being able to take risk, be more competitive. Um, is, is a skill that men and fathers bring to, to our girls. So if the father may not be in the home, that skill can be developed with a coach who may not, and not like, you know, hopefully people won't bash me for this, but may not baby our girls as much. Mm. And so, and, and, and you know, um, allows them to um, compete in a way that's different. And, and that certainly is a skill that they need in the world. Wow. How about access to services? Because oftentimes, particularly in the black community, um, either we don't believe we have access um, to mental services or mental services um, are far and few in between. Um, how do we um, look for and engage um, in searching a mental health facility or individual that can actually serve us? Yeah, I mean, un- unfortunately, if you look at health care disparities, access to mental health services is disproportionately lower in African-American communities, and that's a shame. However, you're right. To your point, they are there. I think one of the first ways and best ways um, to engage in services, especially for school-age children, is through the schools, which means if you have a child who may have difficulty learning, um, talk to your counselor, demand an IEP, demand an IEP, write it down, go to your counselor, Make sure that your child has an individualized education plan, and because that is critical as evidence if your child needs services. I see too many children who have diagnosed ADD or ADHD, and their parents don't want them on medication because they just don't want them on medication. Whereas if your child truly has ADD and ADHD, medication can help them focus and can help them learn. Knowing that too many, especially black boys, get uh, labeled as ADD without being diagnosed, which are two different things. Make sure they go see a psychologist or psychiatrist, get the right diagnosis, and and get them treated. So start at your school with accessing services. Go through your pediatrician or healthcare provider. They're another good resource in terms of being able to access services. You can also, every county, every city has a mental health association. You can call there. Um, if you have health insurance, which hopefully most people do by now, but if they if you don't, um, you can in in New York City, for example, you can call three one one and find places that can treat you if you don't have health insurance. If you do have health insurance, sometimes for mental health services, there can be a wait. Get your name on a list. So don't wait until it's such a huge problem that it's disruptive. The minute you notice something, be willing and open to an assessment be willing and open to diagnostic and treatment recommendations, and then follow up. Wow. So i got one last question for you, mm-hmm. and uh, this is my stretch question. I'm going to be asking all of our guests throughout this series this question um, in the very last instance. If God gave you the power right now to eliminate one issue for our girls, what would it be and why? Um, if God gave me the power, I would eliminate sexual abuse for our girls because sexual abuse um, is one of the most damaging 
incidents and experiences that can happen to our young girls. It damages their self-esteem. It damages their sense of self-worth. It disrupts their relationships, sometimes with their mothers, you know, future healthy relationships with, with boys and, you know, when they're adults as men. And it, it, it just violates their sense of um, self. And it's, it's um, one that is frequently silenced but the body knows that it's there, the brain knows that it's there. And, um, you know, with the population that I work with, literally 100% of the women um, have a history of sexual abuse. So it leads to self-medicating. It leads to um, not having uh, appropriate boundaries with body, and it can lead to disruptive school patterns and ultimately um, involvement in the criminal justice system. That was a powerful, powerful answer. Um, now you got me thinking even more about my girls. So um, hopefully um, people will get um, all of the great information for this in a way that it allows us to truly um, begin to celebrate our daughters. Um, this year uh, we called both campaigns, both our Save Our Sons Night, which we did a month ago, and now our Save Our Daughters Night, which we're going to be doing on May 8th. Um, particularly as an outgrowth of what has been taking place around the country um, with our black boys. Um, But next year, I'm actually going to rename both of these campaigns to celebrate our sons and celebrate our daughters um, to be able to give people the same kind of information. Um, But I want to give a different spirit um, to the work in the sense that, you know, our sons and daughters um, should be celebrated um, just so um, as our mothers and fathers are. Um, I think that to be able to do that will help us to at least um, cultivate the kind of hearts that we need um, to have the sympathy and empathy for raising our children. So thank you so much for... Thank you, Ken, for all the work you're doing. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's a tireless work. You just do it, um, and you hope that you change someone's life in the process. Um, that's yeah. all you can hope for. Well, you have. I've seen your work. I've seen you firsthand. Mm-hmm. You are changing lives. Thank you. So let's tell people how they can get in touch with you. Um, so I'm at Twitter, at Dr. Janet. Um, I have a column, Family Circle, Ask Dr. Janet, um, and a, a website, um, drjanet.tv. So notice that Dr. Janet theme is <laughs> there. But, yeah, certainly I welcome any inquiries, and if I can help with resources in any way, please contact me. All right. So, again, thank you so much. Um, you've been listening to The Black Bar on air. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. Um, you have been listening to my good friend, Dr. Janet Taylor, and we've been talking about the mental health of our girls and daughters. Uh, this segment is part of our National Save Our Daughters Night campaign that takes place on May 8th. For more information, go to our website at www.saveourdaughtersnight.com. Be blessed. You've been listening to The Black Bar on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Kenneth Braswell. Thank you for joining us as we continue to bring you the best in provocative, stimulating, and empowering dialogue. If you would like to support or learn more information about Fathers Incorporated, visit us at www.fathersincorporated.com, on Twitter at F-A-T-H-E-R-S-I-N-C-O-R-P, and follow us on Facebook at Fathers Incorporated. Remember, your self-sacrificing devotion to your purpose in life and your unwavering faith will carry you through the times of difficulty. Dr. Rev. Martin Luther King, until next time, be wonderfully and abundantly blessed.